Welcome. I hope you enjoy the conversation you're about to see between me and another comedian about religion and comedy. These are conversations I'm calling Disorganized Religion. God bless. And for those atheists out there, may nothing await you after this life. Hey, nerds. Uh, welcome to another edition of Disorganized Religion. I am your host, Seth Lawrence, as always. This week, I am joined by the fantastically kind and funny Jared Kassebaum, a comedian from Indiana who is living in L.A. Thanks for joining me, Jared. What's up, man? So good to see you. Good to see you, too, man. Good to see you, too. And I realize we have a mutual friend, Mark Sipka. Oh, yeah. You know Mark pretty well? Yeah, Mark. Um, man, when I moved to L.A., I feel like I got told within the first month in different areas of my life, like, you need to talk to Mark. Because they're yeah. like, oh, you're a comedian who's a Christian from the Midwest. Like, those, those three <laughs> things, people are like, you got to talk to Mark. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And For so sure. Mark and I connected pretty early on, and um, he's been a, a super good friend of mine um, in the scene. Yeah, that's cool. I met Mark through Mike Perkins. I don't know if you know Mike. No. So uh, Mike and I connected over the Burbank Comedy Festival. Uh, it's hosted at Flappers every year, yeah, uh, yeah. at least for the last five or six years. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in that this year. But yeah. They oh, the just online? transitioned it to digital. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to so, be interesting. Congratulations. All the networking is gone. <laughs> like all that that type of interaction yeah. of, oh, I met him at that festival is, I know. is gone. Yeah. But, uh, are you in it this year? I am. Yeah. Oh, dope, so cool. I don't know how yeah. they're going to do the classes. Usually, for those of you who are not as familiar with the comedy scene uh, or what festivals really entail, it's it's more of a, think of it like a conference, an academic conference uh where we just goof off all the time telling jokes but we yeah, yeah networking is a huge part of it because it's supposed huge. to be that's where uh, i met you yeah at a, form, at a different festival right exactly uh it's supposed to be a forum where comics can meet and meet with like management and people in industry to kind of step your game up a little bit i don't know how they're going to do that online so online yeah i don't know i um all the online stuff i mean this is this is like the most fun version of all the online stuff. The <laughs> yeah, conversations, I, I think in so my too. opinion, because all yeah. the all the Zoom shows I've done, I've left feeling exhausted, and yeah. I just like I don't really want to do this anymore. Every time, <laughs> I was gonna say, how have your Zoom show experiences I mean, gone? I, I haven't but... done a ton when I when I first, when quarantine started. I I run like a monthly show in Culver City during normal times. Got it. And um, I was trying to like transition that online, and I did it twice and I was just like man this is the worst and yeah. so then I kind of paused it and then tried to like come back with doing more of a talk show conversational style rather than like okay here's your 10 minutes you go while I just sit here and look at you on the screen right and trying to turn it more in like a talk show format to right. me that's the best pivot within the digital world just from an entertainment standpoint because who are we trying to fake the crowd and act like there's a crowd in front of us when there's not I mean, they that's kind what it feels of, like a lot of times. I know they kind of are there, but the delay, what I've realized for me is timing is everything. I think that's true for every comedian. But what I mean for me is uh, Zoom shows, if they've done anything positive for me, it is to help me feel more comfortable with a little bit of silence after my jokes and sure, just sure. wait because... That's the you part just, that's you so can hear the laughter in your head, and you're like, "Man, I got to give this two to five seconds because people are dying in in their lonely apartment. All these people are laughing their heads off. Yeah, to give them that space. Yeah, that's totally. that's what I hope is happening. Um, 
but <laughs> it's rough, man. Yeah, it's rough. So you're seeing a yeah. bunch of blank squares with screen names on them and you have no yep. idea what's going on. It's just, man. And even if the video is showing, at most you just see a smile. Yeah, you don't exactly. Hear a laugh. Like you might, have you had people do where like they do the little emoji on the screen, you know? Oh and yeah, like, I mean I've seen people do it. I don't think I've ever been like this is how you will interact with me. But. No, for sure, but I think some people like they want to tell you they're laughing. Yeah. So they put the little clapping hands emoji up or whatever. Right. And it's like, okay, like that makes me feel a little good, but it is nothing like being yeah. live. Yeah, yeah, the immediate response no, you sure. can't you cannot beat it. No, you, you can't beat it. That's that's what that's what I think hooked most of us, in my opinion, is yeah. Like you know, I'm even writing jokes. It's like, why would I write a joke if I don't know when I'm going to perform it? Like that, <laughs> that desire yeah. to write a joke is like almost entirely gone because yeah. I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to try this out. It's not like, you know, pre-quarantine where it's like, yeah, sometime in the next couple of days, yeah. this joke is going to see stage time. That's, right. That sucks to not have that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then the sure. constant sort of revision based on reaction, you know, all that's also... Yeah. You have to trust that your first instinct is funny and you can't really judge if it wasn't. And especially like I'm trying to put out more video content and it's like, I have to completely trust that my first idea was the best one. I mean, you can Mm. revise it and whatnot, but it's not like I'm workshopping it through, through multiple shows to get it to a better point. Right. And do you feel like that's tough in a climate where I, I might take on the climate now in social media is if you're not dead on with your first take, if you put some out there and it's off at all, uh, people are going to tear it apart and then you don't get a second shot, you know? Well, I mean, who's tearing it apart? You're, I mean, like, depending on where you're putting it, in my opinion, because it's like, if my, if my followers on Instagram don't like my last video. Yeah, they just won't like it, right? They, they just won't like it tap. and hopefully yeah. they'll like the next one. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I want to have a decently high bar, but also like, man, I've been putting out trying to do like weekly videos where I tell a story is just kind of what, what I've been trying to stick to. Got it. And I was doing it and most of them were like every now and then one would do better than another. But yesterday I put out a video and um, it was about the time I met James Gunn, the director of guardians of the galaxy. Sure. He shared the video. Wow. And all of a sudden a ton of people are seeing it and yeah. I got a bunch of new followers out of it and stuff like that. Yeah. And so it's like, I didn't expect that. I had no, I did not think he would watch it. So I don't know. Little things like that where it's Interesting. like, as long as the bar is reasonably high, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. put it out there just hoping that it might catch a chord that I didn't quite see coming. Cause I feel like that's sure. how it is on stage too. Is sometimes yeah. I try out a joke and I'm like, this is going to crush and it doesn't. And right. then you, you try out the thing that you, that you were like, yeah, maybe I guess I might as well. And then it crushes and you're like, right. Oh, that this is not what I expected yeah yeah why why is that the case why why did it happen that way how how long have you been why that immediate response yeah i totally agree totally agree yeah how how long have you been doing stand-up jared about five years gotcha and you started in la or you started in indiana and moved in indiana yeah i started summer of 15 in indiana and it was like kind of off and on so i mean five years a little generous four years of trying to do it consistently you know for like five yeah. years from the first mic um and then like was doing it really just like once or twice a month for for at least half the year before kind of being like man i want to give this more of a shot but gotcha. i was still in college at that point so I, I went to purdue and um started doing stand-up while i was there and like uh-huh. driving around the state to even just like 
little six minute open mics two two mile two hours away just because that was the only stage time near my college town sure and um yeah that was where i started yeah wow and then so, you got here a little over two years two and a half years ago now two and a half years ago um, gotcha so you got to la about the same time i did oh really okay yeah yeah, yeah. what 2017 where, where where'd you from yeah yeah i came i came early 2018 but yeah 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 i was here mid 2017 we moved here over the summer of 2017 um okay. yeah utah i'm from utah originally okay 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 yeah you know you assume but you right. don't want to necessarily say i know oh it's you're from ste- utah it's a stereotype for a reason jared uh, i <laughs> i don't know i've met a few other mormons out here my first la job I was working at a Snapchat production company, easily uh-huh. my least, my, my worst job I've worked out here. Like, Oh, is that right? Just making the scum of the internet in my opinion. <laughs> I hope none of those people watch, but just like, <laughs> you know, it was like very buzzfeedy type stuff where it was like yeah. five ways you could be better at sex. And I'm like, we're putting this on Snapchat where the main demographic is 14 year olds. What the heck right. are we doing guys? Right. Like, what are we doing? Well, 14 year olds and, um, and but, some, some older, some older people. I think it's becoming older, but like yeah. at that point, it was definitely younger. Oh, were you making a pedophile joke? Well, yeah. Okay, kind okay, of. nice, nice. nice. Uh, um, but the lawyer at that yeah. Snapchat company, the guy who was like the, the head counsel, was a um, a, a Mormon guy. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Maybe you know him. I don't know. Is that how it is? I mean, I we know. all know each other. Yeah. Is no, I don't know. Um. I mean, I think no, it's not actually a thing. But I don't the want to degrees, be too ignorant, but I do feel like it's a small enough group that it might be. The degrees of separation are are probably far far narrow narrower, right? Sure, sure. Uh, but no, I, mean, I, don't I do know. feel like I get that in the Christian world just because of entertainment. It's like um, there's only you know a handful of churches. And yeah, you're only two people away from pretty much everybody else. Right. Right. Um, so what was the comedy scene like in Indiana? Was it mostly because you were at Purdue? Was it mostly like you were with other college kids in like a stand-up club or? Uh, no, we didn't have a stand-up club at Purdue. Um, oh, okay. We had like improv and stuff. But um, it's like there's Indianapolis, right? Which is the capital and largest city, the 17th largest city in the States. You know, I tell that to people out here all the time because I'm trying yeah. to like, make it sound legit. As big as possible. As big as possible. 17th yeah. largest, but like 12th largest geographically. You know, you got to know your stats. Um, right. Yeah. That's, and that's where I grew up. So all my summers were spent in Indy. And I was like within the Indy city limits and stuff. So like there's a bunch of open mics within Indianapolis. And that uh-huh. was like the normal scene. And you have a couple of big clubs. There was Crackers and um, Morty's were the main ones. And then Morty's actually just shut down a couple of years ago. And then a Helium hmm. moved in and pretty much wow. took over uh, all of the former morty's roster um and then occasionally there's like small clubs that pop up for like five years and then go under i feel like there's like at least four of those that have even passed while i've been yeah doing comedy um and then there's like a club in fort wayne there's a club in south bend and then of course the comedy attic in um bloomington Mm. um which is really crazy just bloomington is a college town but it is um that is by far the most like the biggest club club in indiana uh-huh. obviously if a big name comes through they'll do a theater or something but right. if you're but if you're a club comedian that's the best club in indiana gotcha um, and so i remember growing up going to you know going to the attic to see like pete holmes and other people who were like my favorites mm-hmm. um because they wouldn't come into indianapolis for some reason but they would go to freaking bloomington yeah um, which again is like a 
other than when, when college isn't in session, there's like 30,000 people. Right. You know? Right. So, that's probably um, why they wouldn't go. Well, that's right. But they do go because of the attic. Oh, because right. of the attic. Yeah, I yeah. see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Sure. But um, yeah, so then starting at Purdue, I would, my summers would be in Indy, so I'd be doing as much as I can in Indy. During the semesters at Purdue, um, I would drive to wherever anything was even remotely offered. A ton of bringer shows in small towns. Hmm. Um, so there's a guy like from Crawfordsville, Indiana, who consistently brings um, like road comics um, to Crawfordsville and all these really small Indiana towns that have maybe 75 to a hundred thousand people yeah. um, that would never otherwise get a comedian and you perform in like a Chinese restaurant, you know? And so um, I would consistently do like those from like a bringer mentality, you know, they don't care if you're good or not. And you just, yeah. as long as a couple of my college buddies came, they'd put me on the roster. Gotcha. So that was a lot of my early shows. And then um, I moved to Chicago though, when I, after I graduated and mm. I lived there for almost a year before moving to LA. Okay. Hey, LA had always kind of been the dream. And I, I hit a point in Chicago where I was like, man, if I don't do this soon, I'm going to like fall in love in Chicago. I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I just want to like get out there before I like have roots. Yeah. Like, so I just kind of, I know I'm young, but I just decided to try to move out here as soon as I could. Um, sure. And, and it's been, it's been good. And what, what took you to Chicago? Were you doing stand up in Chicago or improv in Chicago? I mean, I was trying to do stand up. Yeah, uh-huh. I was trying to do stand up. I hadn't done improv. Um, I do a lot more improv in LA now interesting um, but yeah. i hadn't ever in chicago i was trying to do stand-up i was also just kind of depressed to be honest like i just like okay. graduating and yeah. like, my sister lives in chicago so i had um, when i graduated i was like i don't know what to do with my life i'm just gonna right. move where my sister is and so we got really tight during that season which was like super special and like in a way that i didn't necessarily see coming because yeah the first like three months of that year were easily honestly like emotionally probably my darkest season because I, I like didn't like myself I didn't know what I was doing I like kind of started to dabble I'd done a lot of stand-up but I like, didn't I felt like because I hadn't moved to LA yet I didn't have the courage to keep going and I was just like so upset at mm, myself so there I, were definitely a couple months where I didn't really perform but then once I then about halfway through decided to move to LA then that second half of being in Chicago was a lot more fruitful because I was able to actually like have the right mindset toward it all yeah um, but those first few months were pretty dark um gotcha yeah 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 Yeah, man that the transition out of college into real life is uh that's a trying one no i yeah i i had i had as rough a time as any and it was surprising during that season how many people were experiencing the same thing and yet i felt like in college nobody talked about that everybody always was like i can't wait to see what you do (laughs) you're you're gonna change the world and then you get out of college and you're a barista yeah i'm not changing the world i'm a failure and i feel like <laughs> i have so many friends that were in that boat um mm. and man i wish i could tell college students that all the time of like sh- don't listen to your parents when they tell you you're going to change the world don't let that be your goal for at least five years right like, just like find a community put down some sense of roots change your community before trying to change the world because if yeah. you're trying to change the world you're just going to be so uh dwelling on your own failure constantly because yeah. you're not going to change the world you're freaking 22 yeah yeah you shouldn't be you shouldn't be changing the world i mean yeah oh man so what was the have you noticed a big difference in maybe overall well yeah i mean what is the difference between like stand up in indian in indiana versus chicago versus la because those are three drastically different markets 
for sure for sure i mean chicago was you know the big the, the big city kind of you know even in indianapolis right. which again is the 17th largest city um, <laughs> in the united states <laughs> i believe you i believe you Jim. Uh, but chicago is where a ton of you know a ton of people move just because it's like the biggest in the in the midwest right. but um, right i mean indianapolis i would say the comedy scene is a lot more grungy um mm. it kind of has more of like an alt vibe because um, other than the clubs, it's there's. I would say there's really only probably three or four dozen people who even call themselves comedians within Indianapolis. Yeah, you know, and so and anytime any of them take it seriously enough, they get you get frustrated pretty quickly with the size of the scene and you want to move. So hmm. it keeps it kind of like keeps it small. On you know, gotcha, right? Um, and there are some comedians in Indianapolis that I, I super respect, and there's some guys in that scene that are. Um, just hilarious and like I looked up to so much when I started and and they're still crushing it in Indiana and they're like because they become kind of Midwest road comics and whatnot and they're crushing that for sure yeah um, but I will say there I think at least in LA I feel like there's a pretty big like mainstream alt kind of like divide sure in Indiana there was really just alt hmm. um, I would say that's a big difference like there wasn't really the mainstream type and yeah. I think anytime anybody kind of tried to come into this scene and be cool, everybody else was like, you shut up. Like, you're not cool. <laughs> or just move. If you want to take yeah, it that just seriously, just go. Go to Chicago. Well, go it's to not LA. even the seriousness of it. It's the, like, taking yourself, you know? Like, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, right. It's like, I see. like, dude, like, it's these guys. It's those guys that get up there and try to be Chris D'Elia. And it's like, okay, we can tell you're trying to be Chris D'Elia. Yeah. You know what mm, I mean? And it's right. like... um. But, but I mean, so I, I, I loved that scene for a while I was there. I think, you know, and I love Indiana. If I didn't have the career aspirations that I have, I, I think I'd still be there. I mean, I, yeah. I, I miss my family and whatnot all the time. But yeah. Right. So what is, the, what is the goal? What brought you to L.A.? Yeah, dude. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of it's stand-up. So I moved out here and um, stand-up, improv, and just trying to, like, grow those skills. To me, the, the super long-term goal that – I want to maintain as a goal and, and act as if it's legitimate for as long as possible is like talk show host. Oh, okay. Um, so to me, that's the most fun part of the comedy entertainment world is, is, you know, I want to replace Colbert when he retires. That's the, yeah. that is the absolute dream Got that, it. Sure. Um, that like, that's what I write when I yeah. write out my goals and whatnot. So that is the all time dream. And I think there's, you know, many different routes that might lead up that mountain if that mountain is even um, mountable. Yeah. yeah, But, yeah. Uh, but that, well, is, that is the super long-term goal. Then it would keep it in Christian hands, right? Cause... Because he's Catholic. Right. Yeah. 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 I hadn't really thought of it that far, but yeah, I guess, I mean, and Colbert is by far the, my favorite of, of those. Of the late nights. Like, yeah. Yeah, when I got, I would, I just remember every day getting home from middle school and high school watching the rapport because that right. was like those years for me. Sure. I think that ran for what nine years, and seven of those were my middle and high school. And I would literally, I'd get home and watch the episode that I had taped the night before, like the first thing I do every yeah. single day. And Man. like that's what gave me the sense of humor that I have. That's what gave me, you know, so much of that. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I think that's by far like the biggest goal, but um, yeah, man, there's, but then you move out here and you realize there are so many other dope jobs. I yeah, think that's sure. a big difference too. Right. Sorry if you heard that, but like, no, you're good. The, yeah. You know, in Indiana, the idea of being an entertainer, there's, it's pretty patchy. 
then right. you move out here and you're like, oh, you can do so many things with a similar skill set. Or even even if you want to work behind the scenes and you realize you don't want to be in front of everything, those jobs actually exist. And you realize like, oh, it's not just cameraman and writer. There's right. so many more roles than that. Right. Which, and so I think that that's why LA has always appealed to me of, you know, even if you have to pivot, you actually can pivot. Versus yeah. in Indiana, if you have to pivot, you become, you, you, you work for an insurance firm. <laughs> right. You know? You're, you're pivoting out. You're stepping you're pivoting out, out the, rather yeah. than like pivoting within. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's the big difference in a lot of ways to me is like, if you can't become that road comic or a club comic in Indiana, then you have to go back to whatever your day job was versus mm-hmm. here. If you can't make it to that point, you can work for an ad agency. You can work for, you know, a production company. You can do all these things that still employ a creative mindset in a very different way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Uh, so has it always been the dream, like even growing up this, you wanted to do stand up, you wanted to do the late night talk show host kind of gig. No. So that's, man, it, it's crazy just thinking about it too. So I went into Purdue as a physics major thinking I was going to get a PhD in physics. That was literally oh, okay. my career. That was my career track. Yeah. I, you know, my parents had me take one of those, like probably super expensive, like career placement sure you know like here's what your personality and they told me physicist and i just like took that as like right i guess that's it (laughs) like sweet let me find the best state school that has a good physics program and um you know purdue's known for engineering and whatnot i think knowing now what i know about myself i wouldn't have gone to purdue but it also i think ended up making me who i am so who can say right but um sorry we had some technical difficulties my spectrum internet is being very spectrumy um but you were when 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 i lost you jared you were talking about how going to purdue you might not have gone had you known now about your what you know about yourself now you might not have gone to purdue but it made you who you are so who's to say sure sure sure. but you were studying physics thanks for the recap yeah 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 so um uh then but the biggest thing that changed my trajectory was um the end of my freshman year at purdue one of my best friends killed himself oh Um, man and so uh, that was what kind of just made me wake up to like, I don't really like physics. Like I, I wasn't failing in it, but I also wasn't like massively excelling. I also, it just woke me up and it's an emotional kind of component to my life where yeah. all of a sudden I was like, man, I want to do something that actually like emotionally has an impact on the world. Yeah. And I remember very distinctly like an adult friend, I don't remember how I knew him, but just like, he was like, you know, what's your, what would your dream be? And I was like, man, I just loved it. This was like post him dying. And, and I was like, man, I just kind of want to like make a movie or something. Because like at that point, movies had become really important to me as far as mm. like uh, emotionally. Like, and yeah. I, I just remember him looking at me and being like, why are, why are you studying physics? <laughs> and, I, and I just remember being like, I do not know. Yeah. Um, and so that was when I just started like, I, I first almost switched to computer science thinking like that was the thing, which like pretty, pretty adjacent move. Sure. And, um, but definitely like had a little bit more of like a people orientation to it. I think than physics, cause I was, I got scared look, uh, looking at my professor's lives and being like, man, am I just going to be in a lab my whole life? Mm-hmm. I, it, like right. none of my professors had good relationship with their wives. None of my professors like really like did anything other than stay in the lab all night. And I was yeah. like, Ooh, I like learning about physics, but I don't think I want to like do be physics. a physicist. Yeah. And, and that was what, um, made me then go okay i want to do something like yeah again like with an emotional component and yeah. so uh that that was a really big you know pivot for me and so 
I almost switched to computer science and then I swung super far and I almost switched to theater. And then I was like, that's a stupid move. So then I found something in the middle where I, I ended up getting a degree in like advertising strategy that mm. felt like it was like kind of numbersy, but also um, had a lot more creative potential to it. Um, yeah. So uh, that was my degree. And even when I moved here, I worked at an ad agency for a while too. Um, gotcha. And like that was a fun part of the life so far, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. So that that was when that happened, and then that was that summer after he passed was the first summer that I did an open mic, hmm. and then didn't do an open mic for for months after that. But you just, I that was what kind of got me hooked and just got me realizing like, oh, this is actually a possibility. These things that I don't know. I even think emotionally though, I wasn't really at a place that I uh, even recognize the emotional impact of art i mean this sounds so like philosophy e and like kind of fuzzy and, and bubbly but like before my friend died yeah if i watched a movie the biggest emotion that i really had in me was like oh that's cool yeah but then post him dying i cry almost every movie even the really mm. stupid ones that there's that the emotional payoff is really unearned Sure. I'm still a wreck. You're still like, I know. still am like that. I'm in it. If I yeah. go to any wedding mm. or any funeral, I cry. Like no matter what at this point in my life. Pre his death yeah. again, it was like, oh, that's a bummer they died. Or like, wow, that's cool they're married. But now it's like, it, it just becomes mm. very much like, whoa, like that's a big deal either way. Yeah. And so it just feels like in some level, God took a crowbar to my emotional depth with that and was like, <laughs> you're going to feel the lowest low you've ever felt. Yeah. I mean, now is an intensely low season. And then you're also going to, because you can feel the lowest low you've ever felt, you're going to now be capable of also feeling these immense highs that sure. I have also never had access to before. And sure. then all of a sudden, um, I started thinking about like, okay, like I kind of want to try to make a movie. I want to try to do stand up, And then, then I was starting to taste all these things. And then I think realizing like Colbert had essentially become my, my, you know, my role model in life. I was like, that yeah. was when I started to realize like, oh, everything I want to be, it really is just Colbert. Yeah. And so that was, I think, when those like more specific dreams started to take hold. Got it. So what pushed you to do the first open mic? Yeah. Um, man, I remember so distinctly listening to Pete Holmes' podcast, You Made It Weird. Okay. Listening to the episode where he interviews Sinbad. Um, and, I, and Sinbad is talking about his experience going to open mics. Mm -hmm. And I was mowing my dad's lawn in Indianapolis. And I remember just pushing that mower and listening to the podcast thinking, that sounds so fun. I've got to try it. I've got to at least try it once. I just remember yeah. thinking that. Went online to the only the two clubs in town, signed up for both of their open mics, which were like weeks in advance, not even yeah. knowing at that point that there were tons of other open mics around town that were like, bar mics and you know just like right. show up go up type mics where you put right. your name in a bucket and stuff like that but i only knew about the clubs i didn't even know about the world yet and yeah so sure just went onto the club websites like how do i do an open mic and um signed up for both the mics and i ended up doing you know one of them like two weeks after that point and then the other one like a month after that point mm -hmm. um and then again still didn't even know about the other mics so that's why it was kind of like i had so many months in between open mics for that first year because I was only doing the club mics thinking that was all there was. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's crazy. But yeah, Such a specific, that, uh, that's cool. That's cool. A lot but of people I talk to, it's point. like, Oh, yeah. I just, you know, wanted to, I don't know. Uh, or always wanted to. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah man. Um, what's crazy too is I found Pete Holmes and his podcast because he interviewed a physicist hmm. while I was still a physics major. And that's what got me onto that podcast, having zero real interest in pursuing comedy as, as an art or a career even. Right. And then because of that connection though, and listening, and I started just listening to a podcast every week. So I was like, oh, this guy's fun. And yeah. then after then my friend passed and then into the next year, um, then all of a sudden yeah. those pieces started to all kind of merge together. Gotcha, man. So, I mean, with Pete Holmes, I feel like Pete Holmes, Stephen Colbert, both, I mean, uh, you know, both have done stand-up and both have done stand-up as, as Christian people. Um, I mean, Pete Holmes has subsequently left his faith as far as I understand. Yeah, well, he left his faith pretty much before he got big, though, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. From my right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his, his time, I mean, I assume you've watched Crashing, I don't know, but his show, that it was kind of his, like, fictional retelling of it all. But, right. Um, but even from the podcast, it's crazy, because he starts his podcast right after his wife cheats on him and leaves him in real life. Yeah, yeah. And so if you listen to the early episodes of Pete's podcast, he's super angry at his at God, at his life, at his wife. Hmm. And then you can like hear his kind of therapeutic journey through those things over the like 15 freaking years he's been doing that podcast or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about uh, obviously like for Pete Holmes, his wife, uh, his first wife, that experience for him was very pivotal. And it sounds like for you, your, your best friend, passing uh was also a very pivotal moment but it feels yeah. like you both have gone kind of different direction yeah so it seems like you and pete both had dark experiences pivotal moments um but it seems like you know pete's experience drove him kind of away from god yours i'm not sure it feels like it may have driven you toward god uh or at least more toward yourself at least discovering yourself yeah yeah, I know for sure. I mean, I think it's intertwined. At the time, I didn't see it really in those terms, obviously, right, when you're in the moment. But um, right. I mean, I mean, I, as Pete's hashed it out, not to hash out his story, but like he, as he's described it from, I mean, I have a book and stuff too, his, auto, his like memoir that kind of details that, that mm-hmm. idea of him kind of leaving his faith and then finding a, you know, a very different spirituality that incorporates some of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. But he... Um, you know, for him, I think it was because he felt like the faith had promised him a good marriage. Yeah. And then when the marriage failed, it felt like the faith had failed. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I get where that's coming from. But also, like, I guess, in my opinion, it's like, that's not really what the faith ever promised. Right. Um, yeah, I would and agree. So, and so I think for me, so my friend said specifically, when he passed, um, it was super dark. I was super depressed. I had my own suicidal thoughts for about six months or so. Just like yeah. couldn't really, I couldn't write a joke for a while, you know, just like very much just not in good spirits. And yeah, of course. Um, I, I do think that like the way I view my faith journey in, in that moment, that was definitely, I think the first time within faith that um, I was awoke, I was woken to the, awakened to the idea of, um, that a lot of this is kind of fake hmm. right and so like i think that not not a lot of faith is fake i mean potentially the way the perspective you look at it but like the americanized version of it mm-hmm. in my opinion and so that was definitely the first time i got so annoyed during that season of my life when people within a church or christian context would say something like oh let's glorify god 
And yeah. I just kept being like, what does that mean? Yeah. What right. what the heck does that mean? Right. My, how, what am I, glorify God? It, because in pre my friend's death, glorify God meant let's worship him. Mm-hmm. Let's sing about him. And now I think going through that journey, that's not what glorifying God means. I think that can sometimes be glorifying to God, but it is not the same thing. It's not like worship and glorify are the same word. Mm. Yeah. And I think like glorifying God is, is doing things, knowing that God is in control, doing things, knowing that God loves you, regardless of what you're doing, that is glorifying God. Anyway, not to get yeah. into like a theological treaties on that but so that was i think the first time man all right so it sounded like you were saying that uh, okay so issues with people using the phrase glorifying god which is different than worshiping god uh and interactions it sounded yeah. like you were saying interactions that you had with people drove you away from the faith well it definitely drove me away i think from the structure that i had at that point gotcha. yeah right and i think that was when i started to to feel like Oh, like a lot of this is cultural. Oh, yeah. a lot of this is a construction of, of us. And um, I think constructions that probably were helpful at one point, but when you hold on to those structures rather than hold on to, um, in my opinion, you know, Jesus and, the, and what he was, what his message actually was, it becomes mm-hmm. very detrimental toward any true faith if you're holding on to the, the, um, the cultural vestiges rather than the yeah. message itself. Yeah. And so I think the glorify was the big like thing <laughs> at that point in my life that I was just so annoyed with was I was like, you're saying this word and I don't think any of us even know what it means. And yeah. yet if so much of our faith is wrapped up in that word and yet none of us know what it means, all of a sudden, all the respect I had for so many people started to crumble because I was mm. like, oh, like if none of us really know that. So, but rather than drive me, I think away from God, it drove me toward like my own research yeah into the faith still but i would say it even drove me further into the faith but into at least what i would consider a more like a faith that's significantly more at this point i don't think i knew the term at the time but like i would call it contemplative mm-hmm. so like meaning contemplative faith more being kind of defined by like the active enjoyment of god's presence now mm-hmm. rather than only waiting for for the afterlife because i mean Again, right. not to get too much. I don't know what, what what demographic your audience is in, but like just so much of the so much of the American church, in my opinion, dwells on this idea of going to heaven when you die, mm-hmm. and everything is filtered through. Can I do this and still go to heaven? Can I believe this and still go to heaven? Sure. And it's like if that's the point of your faith, then you then that's like that's like not what Jesus talked about at all. Right. And so, um, it drove me away. I think from that style of faith and toward like yes, I do think there is a heaven. But that's not the point of why Jesus came. Mm. And so it, it, it shifted. I would say that started that journey over my years in college. I was still involved in a different church um, during like my last couple of years in college that I really grew to respect and still do. Mm-hmm. And then um, they were really influential and in, I think rooting me in a, in a different tradition on some level mm-hmm. um, that felt more genuine. And then um, definitely since moving to LA, California. Christian culture is very different from Midwest Christian culture. And there was a pretty big shock, I think, on some points. Hmm. And that was when I think, um, but a lot of it, I would say, in a, in a good way, partly because there's, it's just not as cultural. Like in Indiana, you can safely assume that somebody grew up in church. I yeah. don't think, not that they're still necessarily claiming to be a Christian, but you can safely assume that they grew up in church. Yeah. In California, you can't. Right. At least in LA, you can't. Yeah, right. And right. so, um, to me, 
then it felt like, oh, the Christians in LA, for the most part, they're definitely still trash or fake Christians in LA. But I would say overall, a lot of the Christians I've met in LA, because there's like less of a like assumption that you're gonna be, it's a more conscious decision to be. Sure. And that leads you to think it through in a different way than than you do if you're just assumed to be. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what brands of Christianity have you been through? Yeah, I, mean, I grew up in a Baptist setting. Okay. Um, so that was like um, not as fundamentalist as it could be, mm-hmm. but definitely more fundamentalist than I am now. Yeah. Um, on that spectrum, I think, you know, definitely nothing close to like Westboro, um, but still, um, but still pretty like things came down to, is this a sin or not? Yeah. Which to me is just like not what the point of the faith is, but so many conversations and. Uh, So you're saying a lot of conversations came down to, was this a sin or not? Yeah. Yeah. In that Baptist church. um, Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think again, once it becomes very cultural, um, it's easier to start saying, are you in or not? As the big question. Yeah. Rather than like, how can I communicate to you that God loves you? Which is. Uh, you're talking about whether or not you're in sort of on the in crowd. If you agree with all yeah. this cultural stuff, not necessarily the religious, you know, the, the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. I think that to me is a big um, difference that, that developed in me of, of feeling like the principal question being like, are you going to heaven or not? Mm-hmm. Rather than the principal question being like, you know, do I believe that God loves me? Yeah, it, not in the, not even to the effect of will that make me go to heaven? Because I just think so much of it becomes viewed as a formula for the afterlife. Sure, it's like when you read Jesus, that's never what Jesus talked about. Yeah, e- even his idea of you know repent and the kingdom of heaven being at hand doesn't mean uh, repent so that when you die you go to heaven. It's like no, it's like repent. Even though that word I do think has its own kind of connotations at this point in our culture too, but like mm. even then, it's repent because you want to enjoy God, not mm. repent because you want to make sure you go to heaven. Interesting. It, it, I think that kind of version of American Christianity ends up taking God out of it, honestly, because it becomes about this reward of heaven rather than, oh, I actually want to like enjoy God now and then definitely still then I definitely do still believe in an afterlife but it doesn't but it's no longer the point the end game it's yeah no it's not the end game so if I grew up Baptist um the church I was a part of in college that I think helped me come out of some of that unhealth but then also um it, it was actually still technically Baptist but it was just a significantly more more liberal um, or progressive yeah or just yeah. like a yeah um just a significantly more nuanced baptist i guess i'd probably say is probably the best word uh-huh. um where like there's still like very high emphasis on believing the bible as the word of god and i would say i still do but even what i mean by that have changed it used to mean the hmm. bible every sentence was literal and now i think oh, that sure. the bible's message is true yeah. But each sentence might not be literal in the sense that we mean it to be, because if the biblical authors didn't mean it to be, then we shouldn't take it as such. Yeah. So I think even that understanding of what the word of God even means, but has kind yeah. of shifted. So, so are most Baptists Bible literalists? I would say, yeah, for the most part, for sure. Yeah. Especially hmm. so like, I don't know, the, the breakdown in the United States, the largest denomination is, is Catholic. Yeah. The second largest is Southern Baptist. 
and that's where I was in. And I would say, um, I, I think there are definitely some Southern Baptists out there that I would think have a, a, a faith that I would still admire on some mm. level. Mm -hmm. But I think by and large, it's a pretty cultural experience rather than a divine one. Yeah. Um, and then the Baptist I was a part of, I don't know if there was technically a name for it, the, co the college church that I was a part of. Um, I don't even know if they were technically affiliated with any denomination, but theologically, I would say their view on a lot of things was still Baptist, but the way they went about it was a lot more of, uh, of the experience of God rather than just hmm. the rules of God. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, that's just such a big distinction. The Bible is not supposed to be rules. The mm -hmm. Bible, there are occasionally things I do think that God says, Hey, like, I do think this is better for you than other things. Mm -hmm. That's not like supposed to be uh, in the sense that we now consider it to be like a hmm. morality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. I think on some level it is, I don't, I don't know. It, it's hard talking about this because I, I don't know. Um, the preconceived notion of anybody listening to is going to is going to determine what I'm what I'm saying. I think so much in these conversations because if you come out of a fundamentalist church, I think what I'm saying will make sense. But if you don't, I, I don't know if everything I'm saying will make sense. I hope it does. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, so one one question I yeah. have is you you have made a delineation between American Christianity versus I guess other Christianity, and I'm curious about that. What do you mean by that? Sure. Uh, I think so. To me, the uh, there's definitely, I think, when I look at the pastors and ministers and just literature coming out of other countries, there is a difference. I think we even see that within Trump. I think the fact that there's, what, 80% white evangelical support for Trump hmm. is mind-blowing because no other um, country's Christianity, I think, would hold that type of, of, of conservative fundamentalist values that would prop someone like that up as the ideal person because i know people even from hmm. those circles that view trump as a good christian hmm. right and it's like that only is a good christian if your definition of good christian means i can express what people want to hear about a god that i claim to serve but it doesn't actually look at anything else and yeah. i think that's hmm. so when it becomes so appearance-based and perception-based then of course then trump is a great christian if that is um anyway yeah. So hmm. not, I don't want to get too much into that, but I think right. so. No yeah, one wants to get one into of that. The, one of the theological people that I really respect is um, an Anglican uh, priest in Scotland, a guy named N.T. Wright, who is um, like a New Testament scholar at, at a university there, as well as a, a minister of a church. Mm -hmm. And he, him specifically have been really helpful. And then, um, they're definitely American people that I still totally look up to. And when I say American church, to me, I mean more of the, the stereotypes and widespread beliefs. Um, but there are definitely people that I respect in America. I'm not trying to say that at all. But I also think I'm also delineating between American church and historic, um, hmm. too, I think somewhat. Because even historically, in my opinion, it, the American church doesn't look very close to what historically Christianity has looked like. Yeah, I mean, I guess other than, you know, New Testament Christianity, which is where it starts. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not many churches that have a organization that looks similar to 
to what yeah. is sort of delineated in the New Testament or at least alluded to. I don't know that it ever gets very specific in the New Testament. No. Yeah, but, not even in Acts when it when it is post Jesus. It's not super specific for sure. Right. Um, right. But yeah, a lot of other guys, denominations, I guess, have a leg up on us, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got, got a, a whole other testament of post. We get, well, yeah, I mean, we got it right. That's the only. That's the only difference. Yeah, um, that's the difference. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot of other churches, to me, even organized religion, feel a little bit dependent on the pastor, on the minister that is running the congregation. Um, which I find fascinating, right? That you that that there are people who sh- who church shop essentially, and oh, even totally even huge. within the even same in LA, faith, that's huge, yeah. yeah, 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 which blows my mind, right? Because in the Mormon faith, uh, you know, You're not just, every bishop yeah. is going to say exactly the same thing every Sunday, but but you know, the whole church is learning sort of the same Sunday school material at the same mm, time. Mm, um, mm. So you know, there's a lot of continuity. No, totally. I think I mean, that's huge. Cause even even within my LA, when I moved to LA, I was a part of one church and actually left. Um, not the actually funny enough, not the church called one church because there's a church called that, but I was part of a right. church. And then last summer, I actually, um, due to a variety of reasons, kind of saw issues with that church that um, yeah I brought up and then didn't ever feel addressed. And then so I decided to end up being a part of a different church. But um, gotcha. Yeah, hmm. I think um, I think I don't think the the centrality of the pastor or minister in that sense is as big an issue as I think in my opinion being the like appearance and perception based faith that it has become to so many people of um you you I don't know like even you know a small town in Indiana that I have some family um I only a couple of those people in that family even claim even claim faith so not even Hmm. calling themselves a christian but the ones that do have told me that like just even the church culture there it's like everybody signs a pact at the church that says they're not going to drink and do all these other things and aside from the fact that drinking is not even a a sin but they they say that we can agree to disagree but yeah okay well on on that sure 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 (laughs) i'm literally drinking a beer during this interview um it's fine no judgment from me i'm not here um, to judge but well, I had coffee earlier too, but, um, and so, yeah, but like, even at that, so what, what my family member was telling me about, you know, that church was like, everybody would sign this pact. Hmm. They wouldn't drink, they wouldn't do all these things pretty much. And then everybody was drinking on the weekend and then would come <laughs> in Sunday morning and act as if they didn't. Had not, and all yeah. that does is really breed a spirit of dishonesty and, sure. and distrust within the yeah. church. So yeah, then all of, of a sudden, the purpose of the church, which is to, you know, one, proclaim Jesus, but then two, to care for each other, yeah. gets completely destroyed if you, as a baseline, have everybody lying to each other. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that's kind of what I mean in a lot of ways with the perception-based ideas. And I think, sure. to me, it's because it's become so fixated on the afterlife. Yeah. Um, it has lost so much of... Uh, hmm. what it's actually supposed to be now yeah um and how we're actually supposed to enjoy god love god and love other people now not just so that we have an afterlife but right. actually because that is what we're supposed to be enjoying and doing right well i think that there's also big emphasis difference yeah and i think i think uh, it's interesting that you bring up sort of this focus on the afterlife i've always because i've noticed things like that within my own faith 
um, sure. where people portray themselves one way at church. And I'm even guilty of this, right? Like, I think we all go through phases like this and have sure, aspects sure, of sure. our personality that are like this, that we're a little bit uncomfortable or afraid to really face. Um, but I've always looked at it more not about focusing on eternal life, but more focusing on fitting in culturally with those totally, who totally. are around, right? When I think um, that's partly, I think, too, when I say the American church, because it was for so long, the cultural assumption mm-hmm. that then you you get that type of faith hmm. more consistently. But I mean, too. they can't be just isolated to America, right? I mean, that's got to be a no, human but I think nature it's a unique, issue. Oh, well, obviously, the, any, any in-group is going to want to keep to its own. Anybody's going to want to be a part of that in-group. And once Christianity yeah. or any organization becomes the in-group in any culture, people yeah. are going to fake their way into it totally. Sure. But I also do think like, um, America is unique hmm. currently because even most European nations that were historically Christian are not anymore. Right. You know, Germany, right. France, England. Yeah. Well, they, England, they England famously. Uh, yeah. 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 No, that's true. Yeah. So, it's, um, hmm. so I be, but I, I think America is kind of the last country yeah, but we were also sort of the last created. You were saying America is the last. Well, America was sort of the last country created, right? Most recent. So, true. you know, if timeline arcs are consistent, then yeah, we should be the last to, timeline to leave arc. our majority. Uh, but, you know, we were also a country founded on religious freedom. Now, that might be under question now. Uh, a lot of people might sure. take issue with that classification of how America was started, but I think there is still some truth to that. Um, at least religious freedom for a certain group that felt persecuted, right? So uh, anyhow. But even oh, then, that is yeah. funny because, you know, it was founded on, like even when you look at the Puritans, yeah, they were essentially kicked out, you know, by the Church of England. Yeah. And, and at that point, the Church of England and the Catholics were fighting because pretty much every king or queen that changed was changing it between those two. Yeah. And it's just like, even then though, it's still just two different, two different Christians. And and then yeah. it's just yeah, crazy yeah. because what that produces is for some reason fighting. Sure. Well, it, even though now you know. I would say, you know, so much of at least my faith and like the faith in people around me that I respect, it's like the ecumenism of like, I want us, one of my really good friends out here is a Catholic yeah because and 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 we disagree on so much theology on the nitty-gritty yeah. stuff yeah but like but the core of it is so similar and then it's just it is crazy to think that back in the 1600s they were burning people at the stake because they didn't respect the pope yeah yeah or, or vice versa not it right. wasn't just one way obviously but like you know right right no i mean anyway. they, they they definitely took religion very seriously and some people still do right and some religions have no sense of humor <laughs> at all do you get backlash um, for being a comedian? Is well, see, a the, yeah, I wanted to ask you this too. I don't think I do. I mean, I, I, I'm curious because um, I definitely am asked, you know, by members of my own faith, sort of leading questions like, aren't you uncomfortable in these settings? You know, isn't that, but for the most part, I will say Mormons in, 
California are more open-minded than, than Mormons I have interacted with in Utah. But mm-hmm. all that being said, you know, um, I think it, it's also just, I, I put a stigma on people in Utah where I think, oh, they probably wouldn't like it if I did this, which is probably completely inaccurate, you know, and unfair. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, truth be told, I don't know. I, I haven't felt any sort of repercussions from my faith in doing this. Um, no, I mean, certainly I, I have, there are jokes that I, you know, I guess I'll say my mind is probably as corrupted as any other. And I sure. censor, you know, I, so I censor myself. There are certain jokes that I think of that I'm you never going to tell. You censor from the stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely yeah. got a handful of jokes that I'm like, man, that's funny, but I can't say that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you yeah, know, I, I have sure. to find friends and like be like, yeah, this might fit into your persona. What do you think about this? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, that's funny. I mean, for me, it's, um, I, I haven't gotten any like pushback in any specific sense as much as like, I definitely in Indiana more than out here would get the question of like, oh, do you share the gospel in your set? Right. And, and I'm just like, no, of course not. That's just, <laughs> like, you that's, think even that's... indirectly you do or no? Because I feel like indirectly I do. I share some of my beliefs because that's sort of the setup yeah. to a joke. Sure, sure. I, I guess in my mind, the way I look at it is like, yeah, I, get, I can see making fun of Christian culture which I don't mm-hmm. do a ton, but I could, I do think that's funny. Mm-hmm. I think making fun of those kind of like structures in place to me, it's like the actual like teachings of Jesus though. There might be funny analogies, right? Everybody's got a good water and a wine joke or something like that. Like those sure. aren't that hard to write, but um, the idea of like, I don't know, just like that we're meant to like be reconciled to God and enjoy a relationship with him. I don't know how to make that specifically funny, which right. I think is kind of the core of it. And so, but people, I have been asked that a lot, especially in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I remember even a girl I was dating um, my sophomore year at Purdue, her dad one time was like, oh, are you, do you share the gospel up there? And I just like, I felt so bad. I was just like, no, like absolutely not. Because in my mind, it's like, I'm either making fun of the gospel. Right. Because if, if the job is to be funny, then you're either making fun of the gospel or you're not being funny. I, it's yeah. just like either way, I don't really want to do that. I'm totally yeah. down to make fun of Christians. We're totally yeah. down to make fun of Christian culture. I'm totally down yeah. to make fun of church because we've all been to trash churches. We've all been to churches that not only feel fake, but they're the ones that try to scam people out of their money. I mean, there's there's so many things to make fun of in that world. But I think yeah. when it comes down to like the earnestly held beliefs, I guess I don't really make fun of those just because it's, I don't know what I yeah. believe, I guess on some level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but well, I, I think there's I a level. Just like, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I'll, no. Where you go? You go. I was just gonna say there's a level of respect that I also hold for certain things that I believe that it's like, even if I did think of a joke, I, I don't think I could make it because it totally. either wouldn't come off as sincere or you know I I would just feel badly. I feel badly about making a joke about certain things. Sure. I mean, I think I still. So like in Indiana, there's this comedian who has this great joke about how Jesus does CrossFit, mm-hmm. right? Which a great pun, great yeah. joke. Yeah. And I remember one time, like some of my Christian friends were at that show where he did that joke. 
there yeah. to support me. And sure. afterward, they were like, I, I didn't like that. And yeah. like, That's a funny joke. What, what is there not to like? I mean, I, so there are definitely, yeah. I think, Christians that then I feel a weird, subtle pushback against myself. Right. Because I'm like, oh, I thought that was hilarious and totally not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally not a sin or whatever, right, 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 whatever right. weird conception of that is like super down for Jesus of CrossFit jokes. Yeah. And yet other people wouldn't. I don't necessarily, I think on some level it's like, I don't know. That's a great pun first of all but anyway sure just, um i do think i feel like i get pushed back more in that where i hear people more the more conservative christians talk about yeah. jokes they've heard and how they don't like those jokes yeah and then i'm like oof maybe i don't want to show you my set not because i think i've done anything that would offend you but i just don't want to hear about it <laughs> like, right well I don't see really that's what i want to hear your complaints i mean that's what most christians are really good at it's this passive judgment you know totally man just I very totally very good at indirectly being like i just don't think you should be doing these kinds of things um, yeah which again i think because it comes down to that perception or appearances yeah of sure. like a christian wouldn't do that right right and it's like well why yeah and i think that again i think that's part of the faith that at least in my mind i'm trying to like not hold on to that's the part that i'm trying very hard not to hold on to yeah. while trying to hold on to what feel like the really important stuff that Jesus actually taught. Yeah. Well, how has navigating talking about your beliefs on stage? I mean, how, I guess, how has that journey gone for you? Whether or not you do talk about your beliefs or in what way you talk about them? I mean, I don't really in a lot of my like stand up, stand up. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you've seen my set, but like, I'm definitely a little bit more abstract. I would say when I do stand up and, uh, I don't know, like I have a lot of one-liners and stuff like that in my actual set. So um, there might be lines where I reference being a Christian, but mm -hmm. I, I rarely would go in depth into what that means when I'm actually on stage. If anything, I, I just like, do you, do you know what Young Life is? Do you know what that is? It's, a, it's an after school no. Christian like mentoring organization that I volunteer oh, okay. with here in LA. And it's like, it's, it's national, but I do yeah. it at Culver City High School in LA. And um so sometimes I wear like I have a young life hat, I have a young life sweatshirt, and sometimes I like wear those to shows. Mm -hmm. And I'll have other comedians sometimes see it and know what it is. Yeah, sure. And I've had some people like grab my arm and be like, "Are you a Christian?" Yeah. Because and you can tell in their mind what that means is the Christians in my hometown in Ohio or Pennsylvania or wherever I'm from hate gay people. Do you hate gay people? Right. I feel like that's the question I read. Right when that happens and right. so, so um, like when, yes when they, yes I'm, and I'm like absolutely that's um <laughs> that's what i'm here for no um and so i think but i also go through those interactions of knowing like and getting like yeah the church has screwed up in a lot of ways historically uh -huh. and i don't want to be defensive about that i want to totally admit that that's true and like lean into it and be like i'm so sorry that that is probably your experience with christians that yeah. is such a bummer that that is what you've experienced with Christians. Yeah. Um, I'd like, I'd hope that over the course of our friendship, that's not the case, but, but I do, I don't ever want to like reject that that was what happened to them. Right. 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 Uh, all right. Final question for you. And then we'll get into the, what, what's the deal with Mormon segment. Are you ready for the final question, Jared? Okay. Uh, yeah, for, sure, for you at this point, who is, or what is God? Oh man. 
Yeah, I think um, I think God is a personal God. I do think that's somewhat key to the Christian faith that He um, is a personal God, meaning that like um, there is like um, personal interaction, intimacy. Uh-huh. So like in my mind, um, delineating that from a, from like a pantheistic God, where God is just every everything and everywhere. Yeah. Um, I do think God is everywhere, and um, I do think God is in the trees but i don't think god is the trees right right, right i think right. there's a difference there hmm. um and so uh i think i think god is yeah the creator a personal being who created everything and loves everything he's created and i and i think you know that god did um that with the point of jesus and, and i do think jesus is god like i think that's obviously also you know kind of the the thing that sets christianity apart from you know judaism and that was kind of the big split but um, so I do believe that Jesus is God. And um, but yeah, I, I think that overall big G God is, yeah, the, the, the creator being who, who is still active and present and wants you to enjoy him. I think, again, that's gotcha. I think where then Jesus and the Holy Spirit come into play is um, they're the aspects of God that, that allow us to enjoy him and experience hmm. him in those ways. Um, sure. So definitely um, a little bit more mystical of a God than my fundamentalist upbringing but also um not quite like a buddhist version of god that would be like full-on pantheistic in that sense yeah gotcha sweet all right are you ready i've been grilling you for like an hour about everything it's now your turn uh what is the deal with mormons jared what do you want to know i want to know okay i've heard you like um i want to know like what happens after they close the temples right because isn't it that whenever there's a new temple that opens, um, they allow kind of tourism almost for a season yeah, before sure. it like then closes forever and you can never go in. Right. Not for profit. That... We don't charge a fee to come see the temple for the open totally. house. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. Explore yeah. the building. So what's sure. the point of that? Why could it not? Why can an outsider not come in and explore the building even with, you know, an escort? But like, because it just sounds so it sounds so nefarious and of i just course. want to know we have a lot to hide we have a lot yeah. to hide um so yeah every time my church builds a temple uh which are different from our meeting houses we have sort of regular churches where we go every sunday when there's not a global pandemic um yeah. temples we use for certain services for certain what we call ordinances um and yeah, so we have an open house where everybody's allowed to kind of go through on a guided tour, essentially, of the building. You see all of the rooms. And after the open house, we have a dedication where the building is set aside, consecrated, blessed um, for, for the members of the faith who are worthy to enter the temple. Um, I think a, a big reason why people are not allowed in post dedication is uh to keep it holy to keep it sacred um so really the point of the temple is for members worthy members to go through and take out what we call our endowments which is uh tied to the commonly referred to magic underwear our our garments that we wear yeah, Which yeah. Is really, just do you a wear holy... that post marriage too, or you? That's not just like a chastity underwear. I've always been confused right. on that. Right. It's, it's yeah. All the time. 
all the time. To the day you die, you theoretically are wearing that underwear? Well, you know, swimming, exercise. Yep. I think it gets a little bit, uh, you know, certainly when a husband and wife are having intercourse, there is no underwear being sure worn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, although my mom has some interesting stories because she is a family therapist. So she has heard crazy things. A family um, therapist of mostly Muslims. Oh, gosh, not Muslims. Yeah, sorry, mostly sorry. Muslims. Uh, some gosh, Mormon. Darn it. Mostly, mostly Mormons. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, let's see. Yeah. So, so it is. It is uh, not like there are certain things that we do in the temple. One of these things is baptisms for the dead, which sounds really weird. Um, but the idea here is tied to our idea of the afterlife and our view of a physical body, which is very important in my faith. So we do baptisms by proxy is probably a more accurate term. Uh, We do this for people who have passed away. And the idea in my faith is that after people live in this life and die, they go to a, a spirit world, okay? Maybe similar to like a purgatory in the Catholic faith a waiting period in between this life and judgment. And you are in either a state of spirit paradise or a state of spirit prison. And the only thing that separates those two is whether or not you have been baptized into the Mormon faith. So we do baptisms by proxy to allow and give people the choice after this life to accept that baptism as if they had done it themselves in, in their life. People so they, that were not Mormons during their life. Correct. So they can then choose to accept that ordinance and move. So if everybody of, accepted that yeah. in the purgatorial state, yeah. would Mormonism be essentially a universalist religion? Or are there some yeah. things that do not allow that ordinance to posthumously affect you? No, completely universalist. Yeah. Yeah. We think it's open to everybody. Yeah. So we, I mean, our, my, my faith got in trouble. We essentially got sued by, uh, by the Jewish faith because we were doing these baptisms for those who had been killed in the Holocaust. I remember reading the news on yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Which and who won sort of means, well, I mean, the, the, I, I think what ended up happening was our church voluntarily sort of settled with them and said, we will not baptize anyone in our temple in proxy of Holocaust victims. But I think we really won the theological argument because otherwise, why would you care? You know, right? It's either real or it's not. You could have just said it's all made up. You know, you do whatever you want. <laughs> I can't tell if you're joking. That's hilarious. I mean, it, I, I mean, I kind I mean, of am, like, but I'm kind of not, to be quite no, honest. No, I, I think I get that. Like, yeah, why would they care if they? But, but I can understand. Yeah, and that is hard you know. because obviously, I think yeah, within your faith. It's like, why would you want us to stop? We earnestly believe this. We think we're helping. Right, right. And if you don't believe, uh, you know, anyhow. So um, that's one thing that we do in our temples. The other is this endowment, which people either do before a mission or before marriage. And the whole idea is that you are covenanting with God to do certain things uh, in order to achieve sort of uh, or in order to receive certain blessings. Now, my question with this is the proxy, the endowment, 
and the temple mentality and especially the closing of the temple and stuff like that is that all written within that third testament is that all joseph smith or has or did that develop post joseph smith into what then became the organized religion yeah i mean a lot of that i i think is outside of like I mean, my faith is a little bit odd in the sense that we still believe in living prophets who offer interpretation. And so our holy scripture, quote unquote, is still being written today, right? That's why we, mm-hmm. one, one cultural aspect and religious aspect of my faith is we gather together digitally, you know, to hear our prophets speak to us. So that's, that's what we call our general conference. So we do that every six months um in october and in april mm. what, what where, would that be what was that pre-digital world uh well would they would physically they would physically gather you know yeah yeah um to the extent wow. possible most most converts were asked or encouraged heavily or felt the need you know to be part of the in crowd to move to utah because that's where the church was sort of first really established with any sort of permanence um yeah yeah and that, that's pretty much why utah became a state right i mean yeah without the mormon settling there there wouldn't have been statehood right at least not when it happened i'm sure eventually something sure, would sure, have happened sure. but um sure. yeah so you know utah was sort of declared zion in the early days of the church and then as it became more global uh that the idea of Zion has shifted now to one of, you know, it's your home, it's your heart. It's, it's what Mm. you make it. Um, You don't need to, nor do we want you anymore to come to Utah, establish the church where you are and spread the gospel where you are. Uh, Mm. Because technology has made it possible to communicate. There's no need necessarily for you to be physically here. So what is the gospel as you define it? I know I've like, I've kind of done some personal research into that, but I do know that that's a little bit different in general. Right. Um, yeah. I'm like when you say gospel versus when I say gospel, I would imagine it's yeah, somewhat yeah. different. Yeah. I mean, really the boiled down gospel is probably exactly the same, which is Jesus Christ is our savior. We need to love each other the way that, you know, Christ loved us. Right. Um, that we will commit wrongs and can repent of those because of Christ's atonement. And for us, Christ's atonement includes not only his suffering in Gethsemane and on the cross, but also his resurrection. So we believe everybody will be resurrected with a physical body. We believe that Christ, God, Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct separate personages that heavenly father and jesus christ have physical bodies like ours but perfect the father also has a physical body right um wait like a humanoid body yeah yeah that we Um, are did that that human did that humanoid body exist in eternity past so what do you mean by eternity past i'm curious about that like forever Uh, before yeah pre pre pre-matters invention man i still i what do you mean by that matters invention like pre-creation um, of this world yeah pre-genesis yeah. 1 1 yeah yeah there was a physical humanoid body <clears throat> yeah so we, okay, we okay right so we that's believe what, that's what being made in his image would mean then i guess 
Uh-huh. Yeah. So we, we are, you know, before this life, we were spirit children of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother that they created this world for us, not us for this world. And the gospel really is their plan to get us to live with them again, which includes, you know, getting a physical body, which includes uh, being in a family, uh, which includes getting married, you know, and sealed, which is, I think, the only other ordinance I did not mention that we do in the temples. So couples are married, but they're also sealed for eternity. Mm, okay. Um, which is part of the marriage ceremony that we do in our temples. So, you know, Mormon kids, Mormon women, they don't get like the traditional, what you see portrayed in Hollywood, like walking down the aisle, totally different ceremony in our temples. Oh, okay. Okay. And that was um, how you were married, I assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, man. And, uh, yeah. So it includes, you know, um, being resurrected and living with Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother again, and our idea of exaltation, sort of the highest level of heaven, for lack of a better phrase, is to be gods and goddesses. So you create worlds, you create spirit children, you perpetuate this plan, right? Mm. So there's Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Yeah. And Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. And those are four separate divine beings. Yeah, they're all separate, distinct people. Mm -hmm. And Lucifer is on the same level as those four? Well, I mean, obviously not. Was Lucifer created by the father and mother, or was Lucifer another god? Yeah. No, he is another son uh, of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Oh, okay, okay. Spiritually. We, We don't believe that Lucifer ever received a physical body. Sure, sure, sure. But in the same way that Jesus is the son of God, Lucifer is a different son of God? Uh, Yeah, yeah, spiritually, yes. Sure, sure. So, yeah. Um, Does Lucifer have the power to create worlds? No. In that sense? No? No. Does Jesus? Uh, Yes. Yeah, we believe that Jesus does. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sorry if I'm asking that. No, you're good. uh, No, you're good. Yeah, this is good. Fun. Um. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. Well, thanks for answering those questions. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I don't know if any others came up for you. No. Um, I think it just to, the heavenly mother thing, right? Because that's something that mainline Christianity does not have. Right. Um, is that in your scriptures, or would that be in a prophet? Um, I know you said the scripture is currently being written, but I guess is that in your third testament? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, the let's, best way to put that. Let me be clear about the third testament thing. So, you, what I'm assuming you were talking about is the Book of Mormon, right? Sure, sure. So, yeah, we believe in Old Testament, New Testament, right? The classic sort of Bible, and uh, and then the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants are sort of our four main books, right? Okay. Um, trying to think if I mean certainly. I don't remember any scripture in the Book of Mormon that talks about a heavenly mother directly. Um, in the Doctrine and Covenants, there is, um, I mean, if, I don't know if it's, I can't remember if it's really direct or indirect, but the Doctrine and Covenants is very clear about uh, marriage being between a man and a woman 
um, though it could include multiple women. And this is where we get into the polygamy stance, which sure, was sure. accepted, practiced by the early church, is no longer practiced in the current faith, but has never been sort of disavowed. So it's not like my faith thinks polygamy is inherently evil or bad. It is just not uh, part of God's law currently for us, but has mm. been in the past, right? Oh, so even God's law changes. It doesn't just get more revealed. It might actually shift forms. Not necessarily shift forms, but uh, I think shift needs, if that makes sense. Mm. Sure. Um, yeah, I would say the, at least the, in the Christian faith that I know, God's law is eternal and yet was partially and then fully revealed. Right. And we have a similar idea, right? So, I, I mean, I think for lack of a better word, I, you know, changes, I guess, but we don't think of it as changing. You know, we don't think of polygamy and monogamy as being a change in God's law, more just that we are not practicing polygamy yeah, yeah, yeah. as part of God's law right now. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of speculation on whether or not polygamy will come back. One, uh, if it's practiced in the afterlife, is a whole other debate, right? And then how many prophets at any given point are there that speak to the general conference? Yeah, so the organization that my church has is what we believe was, was in place with Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So we have a first presidency uh, to mirror you know, Peter, James, and John. So we have a first presidency and commonly refer to the president of the church as the prophet. But technically we believe in, a quorum, you know, all 12 apostles as prophets, right? Prophets, seers, and revelators for our, for our day. So in raw numbers, we believe in 15, right? 15 prophets. So there's the general, um, the, the president of the church, his two counselors, all three of them are prophets. Um, and then Quorum of the Twelve, which we also consider prophets. Is that a lifetime position or is that a season by season? No, it's a lifetime, lifetime position. Cool. Yeah. I did not know that part at all. I don't think I'd ever. Unless, you know, one of them does something terribly unholy, you know, if they're, if they are cheating on their wife, they will no longer be a prophet. Um, mm-hmm. you know, is that an, are those elected or are those, um, kind of like just the baton gets passed? Yeah. I mean, this is probably similar to, um, I guess I'll say this. It's a little bit muddy. I don't think anyone in the mainstream faith thinks of it as elected. And I don't really think of it as elected, but it's certainly something that is uh, needing to be of general consensus among the acting quorum. So say one of those people already. So the 15, right. Elect who gets to join them. So when one of the general authorities, which we call sort of this 15 in general, general authorities, um, when one of them pass away, then there's a vacancy that needs to be filled and that filling needs to be a unanimous decision. So in, you know, in essence, it's like it's voted upon, but mm. I don't think anybody really in the, in, in the yeah, faith would the consider too, that right? a voting, right? It's right. Yeah. I think the Cardinals sort of vote and it's supposed to be unanimous. 
Um, yeah, even if it's not be... unanimous, they then kind of retake it so that it becomes unanimous. Right, right. And so I think there might be a similar thing that happens among the, you know, the 15 or 14 who are really voting on it, quote unquote. But uh, generally what happens is if it's one of the 12, then the, the president of the quorum of the 12 will uh, seek revelation on who to call to fill the vacancy and essentially presents this name to everybody else. And if everyone else has no objection, then they are then called and sustained into the quorum. So we believe it's really through revelation though. I think commonly people would say, well, that sounds like they're voting on it, you know? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I believe in revelation of a sort within my faith as well, but not in that specific sense, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think to your point, right, where God should be a personal relationship, I believe that wholeheartedly as well, which totally, is totally. very commonly held in my faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think within, yeah, no, that makes sense. I think within the Christian religion that is commonly held, I think I more yeah. put even that qualifier out because that does distinguish kind of all three of the Abrahamic faiths from, uh, the like eastern faiths right Hmm. of of a a significantly more pantheistic god that is more of like a force through the universe Uh rather than like a being you can converse with yeah yeah interesting yeah sweet dude this is dope this is great you probably need to dip out soon yeah no Um, i probably need to go too but i love these conversations jared it was such a pleasure to talk to you man thanks for doing this thank you I appreciate it. Let me know when I can give it a re-listen. Absolutely. Uh, anything you want to plug or anything, you know, where can people find you? You use the gram mostly? Are you doing YouTube yeah, I'd say videos? The gram is the most, yeah. I, I mean, I, I put out pretty much the same content on YouTube and the gram. Okay. Uh, it, but the Instagram is significantly more uh, followed and not, not even that much, but you know, just, um, that's the most fun of them at least for me yeah trying to put on more tiktok content too but of course oh nice what's your tiktok handle send me your tiktok handle i'll put it yeah they're all the same they're all the same it's all my instagram handle yeah perfect instagram handle is also my youtube and my facebook page and my tiktok got it well we we survived the technical difficulties it looks like spectrum got its crap together so uh yeah and just in time man jared thank you so much thank you brother Good to see you. I hope we can perform together again soon. Yeah, soon. Sooner rather than later. All right, you have a good week. Thanks, man. You too. Bye. Yeah.